Hey, lady. Hey, Natalie. How's it going? Good. What's up? Nothing much. Just drinking some red wine, courtesy of Stanley's Wet Goods, proprietor of wines in Culver City, California. And wines that are in your price range. And also wines that are not in your price range. (laughs) But we don't talk about those. (laughs) Uh, So... This season, we're going to be focusing on a specific genre under the uh, romance novel umbrella, um, specifically historical romances. Um, And uh, instead of doing our usual bitchy book club thing, um, we're also going to try to do some analysis and uh, try to look at things through an inclusive feminist lens, Um, or at least we hope to. And uh, we also hope to give you guys some more historical context along the way. So welcome back to Pottis Rippers. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about The Magpie Lord by <laughs> K.J. Charles, uh, part of our historical romance series we're doing for season two. And this one is a little bit of a departure from just, like, strict historical romance. It's historical romance, but in a version of Victorian England where magic also exists. Yeah, I mean, I mean, who's to say? I mean, really, yeah. Who's to say that it's not complete historical fiction? Exactly. I I don't know what reality you live in, (laughs) but in my reality, this is the truth. I just think that we really run a risk of, um, you know, overlooking things when we try to just interpret what may or may not have happened in Victorian England. We're not in analysis yet. (laughs) Man. Um, So the Magpie Lord is from uh, the Charm of Magpies series, which is a name which is to die for, in my humble opinion. Um, and I can't, can, do you remember how we found this one? I think we probably just found it on Goodreads or something. Um, yeah, I think we found it on Goodreads. Okay. That's yeah. how we find most of our things. Yeah. We'll go with that as the origin story. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the quick description from, uh, Goodreads, which is super quick and fun. A lord in danger, a magician in turmoil, a snowball in hell. Exiled to China for 20 years, Lucian Vaudry never planned to return to England. But with the mysterious deaths of his father and brother, it seems the new Lord Crane has inherited an earldom. He's also inherited his family's enemies. He needs magical assistance, fast. He doesn't expect it to turn up angry. Magician Stephen Day has good reason to hate Crane's family. Unfortunately, it's his job to deal with supernatural threats, of course. Besides, the Earl is unlike any aristocrat he's ever met, with the tattoos, the attitude, and the way Crane seems determined to get him into bed. Ow, ow. Um, That's not in the description. That's me. <laughs> oh, no, no, it does. It says dot, dot, dot. Ow, ow. Ow, ow. O-W-O-W. Um, that's definitely unusual. Soon, Stephen is falling hard for the worst possible man at the worst possible time. But Crane's dangerous appeal isn't the only thing rendering Stephen powerless. Evil pervades the house. A web of plots is closing around Crane. And if Stephen can't find a way through it, they're both going to die. 
So my favorite thing about this description is that almost every sentence contains a potential title for a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> Just to revisit, a snowball in hell, exiled to China, Lord Crane, turn up angry, supernatural threats, evil pervades, dangerous appeal, a web of plots. You're it's welcome, Netflix. No, no. You just were able to sign Nicolas Cage to, like, what is that, like a nine-picture deal? Oh, is that how God. it works anymore? I I don't know, or any less. Does That's, anybody call them pictures anymore? They don't call them the moving oh, pictures, pictures anymore. <laughs> um, insert, like, a 30-second clip from, I don't know, Cabaret, some musical. I was picturing Judy Garland. Oh, <laughs> cute. <laughs> We're I just want to be in the picture. <laughs> I just want to be in the moving pictures. Um, oh, we're synced. That's cute. Um, okay, so what were your uh, potential episode names for this episode? I'm the worst. I didn't do one. Oh, we're. I know. So for the unnamed episode <laughs> of season two, oh, well, I let's do a. Uh, I just had a, an epiphany. Let's. If you didn't come up with one either, um, I I don't want to make a pun about this book because I don't want to sound cocky. Is all I have. Oh no. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> move on. Moving on. What I was gonna suggest is I don't know with our uh, limited followership, but potentially we could do a fan naming contest. Let's do that. All that right. sounds great. It's right. a cop out, and I love it. <laughs> it's a graceful cop out. And that is what we call a graceful <laughs> cop-out. <laughs> it's different from a cop-out. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. <laughs> that was a good one. Perfect cheers noise. <laughs> Damn. Ooh. Put that in your audio and smoke it, Coop. <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, we were doing the episode naming and then we got really on track and then really off track <laughs> which is really just more on track when you think about it all right so moving right along into talking about our hero heartthrobs yeah pitter pat pitter pat goes my heart for both of them mm-hmm. um so lucian vaudry uh, aka lord crane aka the magpie lord aka earl of um, there was another thing, and I didn't go back to check, but he's like Earl and, I don't know, Worf he of whatever. Has, yeah, Worf. Um, he has like a million titles, and I feel like um, on The Crown this happens as well, where it's like you're a duke of something, an earl of something else, and like a marquess of a third thing. <laughs> How does it happen? Like that? I don't, I don't know. Under- I don't I, understand. We that. we need like a legit English person to explain how all of this happens. A legit English person. Yeah, like none of those counterfeit ones. <laughs> I'm gonna take like a jeweler's. What do they call those? Like a a jeweler's loop or a lope? Is that what that's called? Yeah. Is that the little thing that makes your eye look like look like this? That? Yeah. We're making really <laughs> good pose, both of us. Um. Yeah, so he has approximately one million names, and he is your just classic romance book, silver-tongued, alpha, heartthrob hero. 
Um, his father, the former Lord Crane, and uh, his brother Hector were both terrible, awful, not very good men in a genuine, terrible, awful, not very good men kind of way. Um, Lucian was sent away to China when he was uh, just a teen because his father hated him and he wanted to ensure that uh, Lucian would never inherit his family's title and estate and everything. And presumably, A, because he hated him and also, B, because of his proclivities, a.k.a. Uh, Lucian was uh, knew he was homosexual since forever, it seems, from mm-hmm. the text. Um, in China, uh, Lucian was a quote-unquote Shanghai Joe, which was a term that I googled, and I really only found out that it's the title of an old-school kung fu spaghetti western. Yeah, I googled uh, as well, and, I, you know, maybe we were just doing, uh, like, cursory Google searches, but, like, like once oh. I got to the third page of results that were, like, a terrible spaghetti western, I was like, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe this isn't a thing. I don't really know. Um, I don't know if it's an actual term outside of that one terrible spaghetti western movie or if it's an actual thing that are, it's an actual thing. What I do know is this was, as Lainey already pointed out, a historical romance that included a bunch of magic and stuff. And it wasn't the most historically accurate of uh, books, I would say, that you could probably ever read. So maybe it was just a term. We yeah. don't know. Let us know if you know more about the term Shanghai Joe. The focus was definitely, like, the romance, and the time period was definitely just, like, the backdrop. Yeah, Which sure. I was A-OK with. I was super A-OK with super sexy, sex, 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 and also sex all the time. But the time period did, actually, I should clarify, the, the time period did, uh, was the source of the tension, was the source of some of the tension in the book. True, true. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he's uh, he's your classic alpha heartthrob. I've said that five times already. Um, he went to China, exiled by his father. He comes back to England, and uh, someone sets a curse on him, and that is when we meet him. The other thing I had potential thoughts on in terms of the term, uh, in terms of the term, in terms of the term, allow myself <laughs> to introduce myself um i the term shanghai joe i was thinking could be like a term that indicates that you were um a participant in like all kinds of things like being a jack of all trade a jack of all trades but like some of it is legal and some of it isn't and so it's like this combination of being like a jack of all trades and a john doe where you're sort of this like anonymous dude with a bunch of fingers and a bunch of pies Mm -hmm. um and the other thing i thought was that it could literally be a reference to the fact that he was like shanghai yeah um so yeah i i that actually makes sense like combining uh shanghai with a jack-of-all-trades and the just turning it into Joe. Yeah. It's almost like a, what's that word called when you combine two words together and it's a uh, Montview? Oh, um, portmanteau. Portmanteau. Mont- I am so proud of I myself. can't believe you got that. <laughs> I was like, it kind of sounds like it could be a, a township in the Bay Area, California. So all credit Port to you, Manto. I wouldn't have gotten to Portmanteau without Mont Blue. <laughs> Go team us. Um, it's like kind of a 
clumsy portmanteau. It is bit. kind of a clumsy portmanteau. A little bit. Yeah. Anyway, um, our other uh, alpha heartthrob hero, who is not so much alpha, Lainey. Hmm. Um, is Stephen Day. Um, Stephen Day is uh, what is called a practitioner of magic, which for those of us who grew up on Harry Potter is basically just a wizard. Um, he's poor, he's overworked, and he starts out the book hating Lucian because of the awful things that um, Lucian's father and brother did to his family. And we won't elaborate so much on that because you should read the book. Yes, you should read the book. Um, but they're awful. Trust us. And what... Uh, I found interesting about the book, um, or maybe interesting isn't the right word, is that um, both of the characters fit very nicely into the typical romance tropes, um, aside from the fact that they're both men. So they fit into the romance tropes that you see typically in a male-female romance novel, um, just with the exception that this is male-male. Um, and neither character struggles with the fact that they're gay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, I don't know why I was walking into the novel under the assumption that like one of them would be out and the other would be closeted or they both would be closeted perhaps because this is a a romance novel yeah and thinking that like a large part of the struggle would be like i want you but i can't yeah um because the because of the time in which we live and that really wasn't a problem for either one of them no um so sort of back to the romance tropes um Lucian is described as being huge. He's tall, he's muscular, he's the alpha male that we're used to seeing. In all of the romance novels, he could potentially be a werewolf. You know what I mean? Um, So he's very um, assertive. Um, But he also, on sort of the flip side, and what I loved about these characters is they're so nuanced. On the flip side, Lucian also seems to struggle with the fact that he is alpha. Like, he knows that he's an alpha. He knows that he... Uh, likes to be in control and he usually gets what he wants but he's so scared of becoming like his father and brother who were also also alphas but were abusive and abused their powers Mm -hmm. and this dichotomy kind of comes into play in the sexual encounters between um steven and lucian um and it's definitely something that is much more um like textured and layered than the typical like I want you but I shouldn't dynamic like Lucian is very afraid that he's taking advantage of someone yeah um Stephen by contrast is described physically as being tiny short frail and um the sexually submissive one um but the frailty is really just an appearance we actually come to find out that steven basically stripped himself of his power while he was chasing down a very powerful warlock which there's a difference between a wizard and a warlock what you should know is that warlocks are evil within the confines of this book um and because he stripped himself of his power, he should technically be on bed rest for several more weeks at the point in which he comes into the book. Um, he also can't, the way that he gains his power is by sort of drawing power from the ether. Mm-hmm. So by the living things around him and the energy around him. And when he goes to the estate that Lucian grew up in, he can't draw Uh, ethereal power from this estate because it's being cursed um so although he's physically smaller by the time he and lucian finally consummate their relationship it's very clear that he's the more powerful one and that's one of the um pieces that factors into lucian finally being able to like fully let go Mm. it's so satisfying when he does it really is it really 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 is 
Um, so just to touch a little bit on uh, homosexual relationships in Victorian England, since as we've already pointed out, uh, pointed out, highlighted, this book is set in Victorian England, though it's not the most uh, historically focused of novels. Uh, in England at this time, homosexual relationships were prosecuted in ecclesiastic cat. Oh my god! <laughs> well, they so they help. Uh, homosexual relationships were prosecuted in ecclesiastical courts, ecclesiastical. meaning church courts, until the first Buggery Act was passed in 1533, which allowed for civil courts to hear um, uh, cases that involved sodomy. Um, and that actually act, that act remained in place in some form or another um, until the late 1800s. Um, and it was consolidated in 1861 and then again in 1885. And sort of a funny fact that I found, or not funny, it, none of this is funny. But it, none of this um, is funny. something interesting was that the way that um, the original, uh, like, they called them the buggery acts, they were the way that they were originally written there was basically a loophole for uh, oral sex. So, like, while sodomy was illegal, oral sex technically couldn't be prosecuted because it wasn't covered under the act. So, in 1885, the homophobic government um, added an amendment that extended the laws regarding homosexuality to include any kind of sexual activity between uh, males. Um, so... Technically, the last person to be hanged for sodomy was in 1835, but the laws remained in place until 1967. Um, and I don't know, we're never really informed of what year this novel takes place in, mm -mm. but it's pretty safe to assume that being openly gay was dangerous or openly in a relationship with another male. Yeah. Um, so had Lucian and Stephen been outed by someone who wished them harm, they could have very well um, faced death. So anyway, so uh, historically, this context is absolutely horrifying, but within the bounds of a romance novel where we know that a happy ending is assured, it adds another level to both the intimacy between the characters I feel because of mm -hmm. the danger that's presented to them and the yeah. hurdles that they have to actually overcome. Um, and then it also adds to sort of like the nebulous specter of danger that kind of like heightens the mood mm -hmm. of the story. Yeah, it provides the conflict a little bit. Yeah. Within the safety net, like you said, of the romance genre itself. Um, so... One quick question for our three listeners at home, which we've probably lost at least two of you after taking that five-month hiatus. Yeah. Um, so at one point in this book, Lucian ref uh, references how everyone in China, or Shanghai at least, seems totally okay with homosexuality. Um, he tells Stephen about how he was in a relationship with a Chinese man for some time, during which they went to several parties and to-dos together. And um, he was like, the only people who had a problem with it, you know, me going to these parties with this other guy were prudes from England. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I had no idea that China had such progressive views of homosexual relationships in Victorian times. That's so interesting. And I Googled it, and it looks like it was probably not the case. I don't know. 
Um, it looks like there was a law prohibiting sodomy. So basically the same thing that was happening in England at the time was happening also in China. Um, and that law uh, prohibiting sodomy was put into effect in 1740. Um, those prohibitions weren't abolished until 1912. So it looks like it was definitely illegal, um, but, you know, perhaps maybe moral or social stances were more accepting among the broader population. I don't know if anyone, if anyone at home knows, let us know. Cause I thought that was a, an, an interesting yeah. tidbit included in the book. Like everyone's okay with it in Shanghai. And I was like, really? Okay. That yeah. was really cool. If that's the case. Um, Would not expect that like anywhere. Yeah. During that period. During that period but, but give us a hoot and or a holler. If you know something we don't know. Hopefully like, and a holler. Yeah. Hopefully both. both. a hoot and a holler. Also, if you guys are um, interested in reading very sad stories about people who were victims of the English Buggery Acts, um, I would recommend just, you know, at bare minimum, take a glance over the Wikipedia pages for both Oscar Wilde and Alan Turing. Um, Alan Turing in particular was treated in like the worst possible 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 way by the english government it's terrible it is completely heartbreaking and yeah no words um pivoting a little bit from that just a teeny tiny just, just a teeny tiny bit um so i wanted to talk a little bit with you laney about um kj charles herself mm -hmm. um so kj charles this bio um, is as follows. <clears throat> Excuse me. K.J. Charles served 20 years as an editor, mostly in romance and children's fiction. She is now a full-time author. She lives in London with her husband, two kids, and an out-of-control garden and an increasingly murderous cat. Um, K.J. writes mostly romance, gay and straight, frequently historical, and usually with some fantasy or horror in there. I mean, she has my dream life, first off. Minus murderous cat. I mean, I take it. I've got the cuddly dog to... Keep you safe and warm. And warm. Mainly warm. <laughs> I don't care about safe. Claw me if you have to. Um, so after I uh, read her bio, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, so KJ is a woman, which is unsurprising because, um, Lainey and I, while reading the book, were texting and we both agreed that this book feels like it was written by a woman, which is a topic we can unpack probably another time <laughs> <laughs> in and of itself. Um, but I, I was a little bit surprised, not gonna lie. Even after after knowing that it was like, oh, this feels like a book written by a woman, I was a little bit surprised that it was male on male gay fi uh, romance fiction written by a woman. I'm not gonna say she was she's heterosexual because I don't want to put that assumption on her. Um, but I thought that was super interesting. And while looking into that, I found myself sort of looking for a scandal. Not necessarily a scandal. Scandal's probably too harsh of a word, but um, we've discussed before about how outsiders of a sometimes oppressive majority can make more money writing fiction about a marginalized people than the insider members of the that minority can. Um, and that's why it's so important for us, and by us, I mean the publishing industry, to elevate the voices of people to tell their own stories. 
Um, and so part of me, part of me was like, okay, this is romance, like completely like fantastical, fantasized stuff. Like these aren't gay men's stories that they're telling. Calm down, Natalie. And then part of me was like, yeah, but are there gay men out there who wish that they were the ones selling, best-selling male-on-male fic- romance fiction? Are they pissed? I don't know. Is this not a thing? It might not be a thing. I might be inserting this into... I, I might be making this into a thing. I don't know. What do you think? <coughs> Lainey. Oh, uh, sorry. I didn't know that was you throwing it over to me. Um, <coughs> I mean, I don't know. I think I think that I'm not the right person to answer that question because I am a cishet white lady. Um, <laughs> no, you give me the answers <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, I, if we have... Again, I doubt that we do because I think I can identify by name the five people that listen to our podcast and none (laughs) of them are gay men. Um, But if we have any gay men who listen to this podcast, we'd love to hear from you to to get your perspective on this. Um, I think on the one hand, you have someone who's, uh, who's bringing to the forefront a story about people that isn't seen as frequently in Mm -hmm. popular culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have the, as you have stated, and I'm kind of just restating what you've had, or what you've said, but uh, you have the problem of this story being told by a, uh, by a woman who, is she, I can't remember if she's hetero. So so she is hetero. Well, or she might be bi. She might be bi. That's true. We don't know. But but a person whose experience does not align with that of the characters uh, about whom she's writing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where we have a problem. Um, So I don't know. I, I, uh, I would say that I am, I am tempted to say that this is, that, that there's no drama here. (laughs) Um, That there's no more drama in our lives. Uh, at this moment in time and per this, in reference to this novel. Um, but I, I don't know because this, yeah, I can't speak to this experience. No, that's fair. I'm sorry to throw it on you no, like no, no, that. No. Just I, like a please, please do. bucket where, of where, cold water. Where did you um, land? Because I am, I am 12 types of wishy-washy about this. <laughs> I'm, I'm 12 types of wishy-washy about it too. And I'm less, I, after I looked into it, I, it was, I landed on the side of there is no drama here be- just because I did not find a whole lot on it. Right. I found um, a few articles which I don't want to share my opinions about how I liked the articles here on this podcast. But um, in those articles, there were some male authors who shared opinions about how there is male slash male, uh, M slash M, excuse me, romance, and then there's gay romance. And there's a difference between gay the two. fiction. Excuse me, gay fiction. Right. And there's a difference between the two just in, like in their, um, in their origins, in their origins. So M slash M, according to these male authors, M slash M has its origins from fan fiction. So like Harry meets Draco on fanfiction.net. Mm-hmm. And then gay fiction has its origin in pulp fiction written by gay men and uh, zines or whatever. Right, you by have. gay men for gay men. By me- gay men for gay men. Um, and that was the opinion of some people I read and then other people were like, I don't care, it's all the same, it's whatever. Um, 
it seems to be that there is no drama. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I do still think it's interesting and I want to look into, just research more the question of why M slash M fiction seems to be such a cash cow right now. Right. I don't know if it's just a fad, if it's, um... Is it a, so, and here's my question back to you, and I apologize for cutting you off, but is it a cash cow? I I mean, mean, how lucrative is it? So I, I I don't have any numbers in front of me right now, oh, but God damn it, Natalie! I know. God, <laughs> stop, the, stop the presses. <laughs> pause, pause, pause. Sorry, one second. <clears throat> um, I don't have any numbers in front of me right now, but I did read. I I definitely read some articles that um, said that it is a huge up and coming genre. Like starting back in 2014 mm-hmm. and up until today. And like Mag- Magpie Lord, we found that pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And it has a ton of reviews on Goodreads because that is my barometer for everything, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. But part of me feel oh, I'm sorry, finish your thought and then I'll I'll say my thought. So I um it, it I, I I can't speak to how much of a cash cow it is. Like I don't know if Harlequin is Harlequin is pushing it out and it's a huge cash cow or anything like mm-hmm. that. But I think it definitely has had not a resurgence, but a surgence mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. And um, I don't know if it's like, I, I just think that's interesting that a bunch of like a mainly straight woman audience is so invested in reading about these stories. And I'm one of them. Like mm-hmm. I was enchanted by this story, but it's not, you know, it's, it's, M slash M. It's not lesbian fiction. It's mm-hmm. not anything else. And I'm just, I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know why. I wonder Shrug. if in the romance world things are kind of cyclical. Like I would imagine that when Fifty Shades of Grey came out and originally that the whole BDSM subgenre mm. under romance saw a huge like rise in readership. Mm-hmm. And right now. You know, I don't know what potentially the root cause would be, but I feel like there's been a lot of, um, like, media, television shows, um, movies that have come out in the past few years. The political climate certainly is not friendly right now, un- unfortunately. Um, but I feel like gay romances have been brought more to the forefront in terms of, like, the cultural zeitgeist yeah. is that the right word in mm-hmm. the past few years so I wonder if gay romance is as a function of that seeing a, a surge in readership and uh not that I have any feelings one way or another about that I think it's interesting I think it might be interesting to look into um and then the other thing that I was going to say is I wonder I it would be interesting to see in 2015 or 2016 whenever this book came out what the percentage readership was in this subgenre for gay romance you know what I mean like under the romance umbrella what percentage like if romance is the pie Mm -hmm. what piece of the pie was male male romance yeah and what dollar amount what revenue amount does that make up because I wonder if this is lucrative or is a cash cow yeah is as as we were talking or before before you were talking about this you know, potentially making money for this woman, I was like, you know, the thing 
my thought about it is that this seems to me to be a woman who's writing stories that she's passionate about, Mm -hmm. that she thinks other women who are like her would like to read, and that it's something that's written out of a desire to tell a story as opposed to a desire to make money. Yeah. Which, for me, and again, I'm not, like, I I am a member that is outside of the community Mm -hmm. that this is written about, Um, but for me, that little like sparkle <laughs> that was a really good hand motion she just did you can't see it boop, 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 boop. um is is i think one of the deciding factors in me being like i'm coming down on the side of no drama oh totally so and i think when i i can't remember who said cash cow first it was probably me i um it's less of even of it being a lucrative money-making strategy. I, I, I think that was never a thought that I had. It's just more, again, it's interesting that... Where am I going with this? Um, I think you're absolutely right in that it's probably just a surgence in the cultural zeitgeist and this is where the cyclical nature of the romance genre is taking us right now. I just, I think it's interesting that it does seem like currently there is a whole lot of M slash M fiction out there and not a lot of lesbian fiction that straight white women like us are reading. So It seems like. I don't have the numbers. I was going to say, but what makes you feel that way? Is it like in searching Goodreads, do you feel like you see a higher proportion of male-male romances? Is there something that gives you that overall feeling because like yes what I just speaking for myself what I have noticed is that I is that there are more I noticed the male male romances but I haven't consciously noticed on the flip side of that a lack of lesbian romances I've I've noticed I I feel like I have noticed a lack and I remember I've seen I've seen some conversations with other people. I don't have them in front of me right now, but I've seen articles and conversations with other people where they're like, yeah, M slash M is way more popular than, I don't know, L slash L, W slash W fiction. FF. FF. I don't know. Um, fiction. Um, and I just, I thought that was very interesting. That is interesting. So we should we should look into it some more. This is just me going off on god knows what informal but, bullshit sesh I love hey it. informal bullshit hey uh-huh. there's the episode title there you go informal and informal bullshit session with laney and natalie and natalie i almost um, said with laney and seaton and that's like the most <laughs> egotistical thing i've done in 2018 and i needed to admit it out loud to feel appropriately shamed i mean it would have been informal <laughs> bullshit with laney and seaton <laughs> Yay. Um, so anyway, I agree. Probably no, jo- no genre, no drama, no genre, no, no drama. drama. Um, and and now you actually are doing awkward karaoke grip. We're working with new microphones, and before we started recording, Cooper was showing both me and Natalie the appropriate way to hold our microphones, and the, like, the appropriate grip for hers is, like, very stiff and about six inches out and down from your mouth. So that like- is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't 
almost felt like you were setting it up perfectly. <laughs> it was not. Damn it. I am so bad at that's what she says. It doesn't even occur to me. Like, I set up. I, I set six up. Six inches stiff. <laughs> and stiff. Very stiff. And ju- just below your mouth. <laughs> Sorry. That's a perfect, like, grunge punk like garage band uh, uh, album title. Six inches down. Or stiff yeah. and six inches down from your mouth. Um, but it, I was telling Natalie, it's like awkward karaoke. Like the person who has um, selected a song and then gotten up and been like, oh, I don't actually know the words. Yep. AKA me every time I do karaoke. Every time. <laughs> and um, AKA us just right now with Mary J. Blige. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so pivoting yet again over to Lainey Seaton's copyrighted Salsometer review. TM, bitches. Oh, trademark. <laughs> Lainey and Seaton. Um, I personally rate this one uh, 1,000 eggplant emojis that are also on fire emojis. They are all have little fires on top of them. It was tan adorable. That was terrible. I hate myself for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, um, you want to try it again? You want another read on that? It's okay. Right. I'll just take it. I'm obnoxious and I'm okay with it. <laughs> um, it was adorable. They had such wonderful chemistry. They Their sex scene was fucking hot. It was and they made you I just, for it. I just... The... the <laughs> Um, the magic, excuse me, practitioner stuff was on point. I, this book scratched pretty much every single one of my itches. Nice. And that's my review. Um, on my salsometer, I rated it as an entire jar of paste picante medium plus Tostito scoops while eaten, eaten while, sorry, eaten while the perfect level of drunk uh, because it's infinitely consumable, it's got the perfect amount of spice, and you won't wake up with a hangover. There you go. <laughs> Stanley's what goods? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> infinitely consumable, the perfect amount of spice, and you won't hang up with a wakeover. <laughs> you won't hang up with a wakeover. This informal bullshit is brought to you by Seton and Laney. <laughs> That's me, also me. <laughs> Attorneys at law. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Um, let's move forward quickly and no. efficiently. Um, who who did you fantasy cast? Um, so okay, I know that we've uh cast Alexander Skarsgård in like five things already. The Skars. But it's whenever I read a book that it's like he was huge, also blonde, also huge, I'm like that guy. Yeah. Um but also because his name was Lucian, I cast Lucian Malfoy from the movies, but like the oh, younger years, you know, um, a little bit. Jason, what's his name? Jason something. I have no idea he what his is? name is. Stone Cold Fox. Yeah, I, be- I believe it. I mean, and he's kind of a... You can tell he's kind of a dilf in the movies. They kind of downplay it because he's Lucian Malfoy, but, like, kind oh, of a dilf. It's, his name is Lucius, not not Lucian. Oh! It's Jason Isaacs, and he is such a babe. Is 
he and he's super whoa yeah. so he um is also did it's you watch that guy yeah did you watch the oa on netflix no oh don't because it's not good but <laughs> he um was the bad guy in that oh damn yeah i didn't realize that that guy and that guy were he's the same also guy. i think recently wasn't he in the cure for wellness i haven't seen any oh yeah cure for wellness talking. i haven't seen that but i really want to Hmm. Um, he is... Beyblade. Such a cutie. <laughs> is cutie the right word? Cutie. I mean, um, <laughs> so he was, he was my Lucian. Um, and then for Steven, James McAvoy. Oh, James McAvoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him. So we've been watching, um, we get like the FX app mm-hmm. on our Apple TV and... FX is constantly playing one of two things. A an X-Men movie, like one of the newer <laughs> ones, or and or both uh Jurassic World. So I have seen Jurassic World like 18 times. <laughs> I think at this point I've seen it more than the original Jurassic Park. What? Because that is saying a lot coming from you. I know. Justin will just like, you know, we, we won't be able to decide on something and we've been trying to not watch as much Parks and or rewatch as much Parks and Rec <laughs> as I sit here in my Parks and Rec I was sweatshirt. Gonna say, in your Pawnee <laughs> Goddess sweatshirt. Ah. Um, but that, so it's either Jurassic World or one of like the X-Men first in class or Days of Future Past Back. Back to the future, <laughs> the whatever. Future days, 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 days of, of con- thunder con- in con- the future past. <laughs> days of confusion. Yeah. In the <laughs> days of future past is actually it's actually pretty good. The uh, new ones are good. Are they really? They are. are they um, really? But long windedly, McAvoy is Doctor Xavier, and he's oh right, so hot. He's also a great Instagram follow. Oh, I believe that. Dude is stoked on life. Oh, like yeah. The Rock. Or like Vin. He, like, no, he's somewhere between The Rock and Vin. Oh, he that's is perfect. not as, like, uh, pandery as The Rock mm-hmm. and is more self-aware than Vin. Oh, but I love Vin's self But it's, like, the, non-awareness. It's the perfect middle. Okay. He, someone, oh, um, what's his name? Who was engaged to Jennifer Lawrence? He was Nicholas Holt. Oh, that. Oh. Um, he bought <laughs> he bought James McAvoy a like an automated bubble maker for the back of his bike. What? Because I think they filmed the X Men movies in Toronto, so mm-hmm. he lives in Toronto for several months a year when they're filming, and he rides his bike around. And so Nicholas Holt bought him a bubble maker for the back of his bike, so as he's riding bubbles, which just come out. The bubble maker broke. Oh, no. So he, like, posted a picture of himself holding the bubble maker <laughs> with his bike and being like, it's been a good run. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's adorable. I know. <sighs> um, so, I, long story longer, I think that um, James McAvoy is the perfect cast. Thank you. He's also in uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, Penelope. Have you seen Penelope? I have seen Penelope, but I think that I saw it before I was, like, aware of who James McAvoy is. Uh, he is uh, the love interest opposite Christina Ricci no. in that movie, and it is mad cute. I'll have to rewatch that You should one. rewatch it. Yeah. Um, what were your fantasy castings? So, for Lucian, I cast Domhnall Gleeson. Oh. Mm-hmm. Who's um, Hux in Star Wars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is a Weasley, 
and is adorable. And a, is a babesly. He's a babesly. Did you know that his dad is, uh, what's his fuck, Gleason? Something Gleason? The one who plays Mad-Eye Moody. What? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, my... Also, Dom Hal is a name. Do- yeah, Dom Nall. <laughs> damn Hal. God damn it. <laughs> damn Hal. Yeah, and he's, um, he's in... <laughs> An episode of Black Mirror. This is my life now. Oh, that um, that British actor is in an episode of Black Mirror. They tapped the entire island for that Holy series. Holy sure shit! There is not a British actor alive who is not in an episode uh, James of James McAvoy. I haven't seen him yet. Uh, Scottish. Oh, excuse <laughs> me. You know it's still part of the island, Laney. Um, but not a part of the. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it is or isn't. Um, also, it's Brendan Gleeson is the name of his dad. Oh. That's nuts. I had no idea that was his dad. The more you know. Yeah. He was also an ex machina. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Donald yeah. Gleeson was. Yeah. Um, and then for Steven, I... James McAvoy is perfect. Like, yeah. there's no topping it. Oh, uh, no. You're um, welcome. But if I had to pick someone, I think I would go Elijah Wood. That's fair. But I think That's that McAvoy fair. wins. I know he does, doesn't he? He's Steven. He is Steven. Because Steven, if, I don't know if we said this. I can't remember anymore. This was at least 40 minutes ago. But um, Steven is described in the book as being... Um, like, kind of, he makes himself look plain with his magic, but he has this, like, foxy charisma that comes yeah. through his eyes. Like, literally foxy. Yeah, and I f- that, that's James McAvoy, you totally. know what I mean? Where, like, if you, I don't know, like, I mean this in the best way possible, but if you just, like, look at him, he's not, like, George Clooney or something right. like that. But then he talks to you and you're like... <laughs> I don't, I don't he know. He sparkles. He just sparkles. That's another good thing. <laughs> this is sparkle and sparkle. Sparkle. <laughs> um, no, I think that McAvoy is absolutely the, the correct choice. Hey, and he's like, I feel like um, Stephen is described, like, he, he initially is frail, but his he's more just, like, compact and yeah. powerful. And totally. I feel like McAvoy is just, like, tweet. <laughs> tweet. Like a toyger. You know, a little butt. You know, it's like two softballs. No, two softballs. Like two cantaloupes. Cantaloupes are hard. You know what I mean. I know, but they're tiny. I was like small. picturing a McAvoy that was like the size of an American girl. <laughs> and then I put her bonnet on. Yeah. Um. Oh, I want a pocket-sized James McAvoy. Who doesn't? That's how we're gonna make our cash cow. Hey. Oh. Pocket McAvoy. Branded McAvoys. <laughs> Pool strength powder strippers. <laughs> um, and on that note, thanks for listening, everyone. Yes. Um, you can go ahead and follow us at Instagram at at Pottis Rippers. You can follow us, uh, or you can join the Facebook group, um, which is Pottis Rippers Podcast. Um, you can also join our uh, Goodreads group, which is also at Pottis Rippers Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at, at Pottis Rippers. Um, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe at iTunes. iTunes! 
<laughs> we, we typically give that. you a second option for listening along, but I think I'm going to tell you to just listen along on it. Oh, no. If you're on an Android device, listen on SoundCloud. But if you're on an iPhone, God damn it, give us a review. Yeah, please, please rate, review, and subscribe at iTunes. Please. I mean, SoundCloud, if you're... I don't know. I wasn't going to say stupid, but I was going to say stupid. If you're stupid, listen along at SoundCloud. Also, get an iPhone. I didn't say that. I didn't say it. We don't think you're stupid. Feel free to use the SoundCloud. Um, um, and always remember to keep it lusty. Keep it consensual. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>